Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. Thank you for joining me on today's show. The Utah Jazz have their best team in over 20 years. Is this the year that their hopes and dreams of an NBA championship are realized? We will explore that on the other side of an ad from our presenting sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your masquerading and you always Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. Hope is your strength and your weakness. I said these words a lot yesterday as I talked about my relationship to the Colorado Avalanche, my favorite hockey team, and how they're a Stanley Cup contender. It's been 20 years since they've won, and I have a lot of hopes that I'm pumping into this season because I believe that this is the year, and that's part of fandom. And I explored that in great depth yesterday when it comes to ice hockey. Today, we are transitioning to the NBA, and we are keeping that same theme because the playoffs, they're coming to a head in both leagues, the NHL and the NBA. And where I live, the Utah Jazz are having their best season in over two decades. They currently have the best record in basketball, and yet the Utah Jazz have never won an NBA championship. So I think it's a very fascinating thing to explore, uh, this side of fandom and following a team and believing that this is the year, especially for a team like the Jazz, who have never won an NBA championship in their history. So I'm going to set the stage for all of this with a quote from Connor Orr of Sports Illustrated, and it's about the New York Jets on NFL draft night. I want you to bear with me because this ties in greatly to the process of being a fan in general, and especially what I'm going to talk about today with the Utah Jazz. So here's Connor. We're only three years removed from the last time we went through this exercise, the one where we pretended the Jets' acquisition of a quarterback was different this time. How it was, finally, an exercise in competence. How they won't ruin this one like they did the last hundred. So forgive anyone who follows this team if they meet tonight with either the feigned interest of someone who has been beaten down over time or the complete opposite. The beautiful, optimistic amnesia that a follower of this organization tends to acquire. End quote. Beautiful, optimistic Amnesia. Uh, Connor's a sports writer, obviously, but those pull on literary themes that I really like, and they are strongly, strongly applied to being a fan. The ability to, against your best wishes and interest at times, believe that the thing that's never happened and an organization maybe has shown no propensity for doing so, that that will happen. It's hopeful being a fan in a way that not many things are. It's a great draw of sports. So I see those lines, or, or those words, beautiful, optimistic amnesia. And I go, this applies to any team. Uh, it applies to the Utah Jazz, uh, someone or, or a franchise that has never won an NBA championship. It requires a lot of that to buy into the belief and hope that this is the year, despite the fact that it has never, ever happened. Now, what helps fans buy into something like this is 
the Utah Jazz have come very close. Most notably, the 96 to 98 window that anybody who lived through remembers well. 1996, the Jazz make the Western Conference Finals. They lose in seven games to the Seattle Supersonics. Close, uh, but not a championship. Yet, coming away from that, if you're a follower of the Jazz, you say, we got stuff in place. Stockton Malone, great combination. Sloan, a great coach. Taking a really good team to seven games in the Western Conference Finals, that's, that's something to build upon. And it gives me the belief that with a little more fine-tuning, we can get there. So you get to 1997, one of the two most famous years in the history of the Jazz franchise. They make the NBA Finals for the first time. John Stockton sends the Utah Jazz to the NBA Finals, the famous three over Barkley. And we get to Chicago versus Utah. Game one, Michael Jordan, the famous jumper. The game where Malone, it's on a Sunday. He's got free throws at the end of regulation. And Scottie Pippen comes by. The mailman doesn't deliver on Sunday. He misses both. Jordan comes down, drills a game winner. The line between winning and losing, always, it's this. It's, it's almost nothing. And they're still going back and forth in this series. And it's 2-2. And the Jazz have Game 5 in Utah. The famous flu game. Two-point win for Chicago. One of the defining games in Michael Jordan's career. And we go to game six in Chicago, and the line in that game, it's a Steve Kerr jumper right at the end of regulation to win the game on a pass from Jordan. Three games where the line is almost nothing in a six-game series. And so if you're the Jazz, you look at it and you say, if we can get that close, we can win an NBA championship. It's just the logical way of thinking. You you can't really look at a series like that and say otherwise. As much as we want to celebrate the fact that Well, this team won because they're filled with winners. They had Jordan, and that was the reason why they won. Yeah, that's partially true. At the same time, a shot goes in or out here or there, and the Utah Jazz are NBA champions that year. That's just how sports work in general. And I think something we forget, especially when years go by from that event. We go to 1998. A similar chain of events, another six-game Series against the Chicago Bulls in the NBA Finals. Another loss for the Jazz. It culminates in that famous Game 6. This time, the Jazz are down 3-2, but they have Game 6 and Game 7, possibly. Both would be in Utah. It's back and forth in Game 6. All the famous chain of events that go into the fourth quarter of that game culminates in the Jordan strip of Malone in the final minute of regulation. He comes down. The, The famous, was it a push or wasn't it on... Brian Russell, Jordan hits the probably the defining shot of his career, the famous Jordan arm up in the air. Uh, this is what we associate with the end of his career, even though he goes on to play for the Wizards later. And it was the picture-perfect moment for Jordan's career. Stockton rims out a three at the buzzer that would have won the game and sent it to a Game 7, again, on Utah's home floor. And that just goes away. We go, the Jazz didn't win... Uh, They've never won an NBA championship. And me, the person who's always trying to look at first silver linings, but also approach this kind of stuff logically, especially when really good teams play one another, how, how much of a game boils down to just these really weird, small, tiny things that could go either way. And I go, man, this is another series that the Jazz easily could have won the championship during. Uh, and... Now the Stockton-Malone era, it starts to trend downwards. They're aging. Malone leaves for the Lakers after a few years. Uh, They don't win the title in 2004. 
Stockton retires, both of them end their careers without a championship. And the Jazz move into a different phase as an organization. We go through the Kirilenko years. There's the bright blip of Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer there. They make a Western Conference Finals. They get hammered by the Spurs, who eventually win the championship in 2007. Then there's a little more bleak years. 2013 to 16, they don't make the playoffs at all. And it's kind of the Jazz in a state of limbo. They've always had this really successful organization, despite the fact they haven't won a championship, but they've been competitive. And this was a contrast to that, these four years. Yet they start building themselves back up. They draft Gordon Hayward. Uh, Gobert's getting better. They develop Hayward in his final year. He's an all-star. They make the playoffs in 2017. They beat the Clippers in round one in a great series. The famous Joe Johnson bully ball game winner in game one sets the tone for the series. Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan go down with injuries. It's Chris Paul on an island against the Jazz. That goes to a seventh game. The Jazz win. First playoff series in a while. Great taste for fans who have not had that in their lives. They play the Warriors and get thumped the first year that Durant's there, but that's everybody got thumped, so we didn't really care. We just said, oh, this is something to build upon. And then the problem with being a small market team kicks in. Gordon Hayward goes, I know that I, I've been here and you guys have helped develop me and I, and I put in a lot of work on, in my own right and become a better player and I'm an all-star now. I'm going to leave to Boston. And there's a very big hole that's going to be left because the Jazz have limited ways that they can build up a roster that can contend for playoff spot and, and at the highest level. And yet, out of the blue, they draft Donovan Mitchell, who we don't really expect a lot out of. And the next thing we know, Donovan Mitchell, his rookie season, is leading the Jazz into the playoffs, and he's this incredible scorer. And it looks like the Jazz have pieces in place. They beat Oklahoma City that year in round one. And Mitchell balls out. They lose to the Rockets. Okay, whatever. They lose to the Rockets the next year. Okay, now we're getting into the phase of what, what, why are the Jazz losing more in the playoffs? What are, what are the issues here? But there's still a lot of things to believe in, especially for a small market team that is continually fighting an uphill battle against their peers in big markets who have much more natural advantages in how they can build a winning roster. They don't have to show the same type of patience and foresight that a small market team does. They can sign a free agent. They can tear down their roster and trade away people and know that they'll recoup that through free agency simply because of the fact that they play in Los Angeles or they play in Boston or Miami or Chicago or any of these bigger markets that have these natural advantages that a team like the Jazz don't. They lose to the Nuggets in that famous series last year. Mitchell's still balling out and he gives Jazz fans a lot of hope because they lose that in seven games. But Mitchell has such an incredible series that Jazz fans look at it and say, one of the main things you need in the playoffs is a person who can go and get their own bucket at any given time against a playoff defense. And Mitchell showed that continually throughout all seven games. That's something to build upon. That's something to believe that the future, all right, it's going to be better than, than what exists now. Another first-round playoff loss. It's that beautiful, optimistic amnesia that comes from being a fan and watching a team and players grow together. So this year, the Jazz, 50-19, and 19, best net rating in basketball. 
They've succeeded even over the last few weeks as Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, their two best scorers and creators, have sat. They've still played good basketball. They're 11-5 and this season when Donovan Mitchell sits. Uh, a testament to the structure and the coaching that has allowed the Jazz to thrive and continue to play winning basketball despite really key pieces to the puzzle going out. So now we arrive at hope is your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. Because hoping for something that has never happened, the Jazz have never won an NBA championship, it's the most intense thing that you can do as a fan. It's also the most fulfilling thing if it pays off. That really large asterisk, if it pays off. So that sets the stage for this year's playoffs. I'm going to read to you a quote from Zach Harper of The Athletic about the Utah Jazz and his perception of them at the start of the season and how it's changed over the course of this season. Their offense was way more potent and consistent than imagined. Or maybe this is what people thought it would be last season when Mike Conley joined and struggled to find himself in this new situation. Regardless, the Jazz have been a machine all season long. And while they've had a couple of dips here and there, They've pretty much been the best team in basketball consistently. I went from thinking they'd challenge for home court advantage in the first round in a loaded West to getting it for the entire postseason. End quote. So we circle back to hope. And hope is your prized trade acquisition. Mike Conley, who the Jazz acquired at the beginning of last regular season. I remember when it happened, I went and I was playing golf with a couple of my friends who were big jazz fans, and I was going, you couldn't find a much better fit when it comes to a a style of a player coming into the jazz roster. At this time, it it seemed like Mitchell was just the lone score in the creator. He was constantly on an island when it came to crunch time, and jazz fans all agreed they need something that can help Mitchell out in this area. So they go out and they acquire Conley, a person who's made a living off of pick-and-roll basketball, who's made a living off being a great scorer and a distributor in, in equal measures, depending on what the game situation demands, a player who has large amounts of playoff experience with the grit-and-grind Grizzlies, all things that you want added on to the Jazz roster. Conley was bringing that to the table. And the Jazz, they again possess limited ways they can improve their roster relative to big market teams. So when they shoot their shot on a trade and and they get somebody as good as Conley, there's a lot of hope tied into a move like that. And last year, it's a complete dud. Conley, he's battling injuries, nagging hamstring. When he plays, he's hampered by these injuries. and, And even when he looked physically okay, his level of basketball didn't match up with that. And so now I'm talking with Jazz fans saying, did he just fall off an age cliff? This happens sometimes in professional sports. An athlete gets into their early 30s and they look normal one year and they're playing at a high level. And the next season, whether through a chain of injuries or whether just the the process of aging, they're completely different and they're much less effective. I, I couldn't tell with Conley. Nobody really could. There was a time last season when we were debating 
should he just come off the bench and lead their second unit and be the backup point guard and stuff like that? There was a lot of of speaking about Conley, and it didn't match up with how we spoke about him when he very first came to the Jazz. And yet, this year, we've seen the version of Conley that the Jazz hoped they were getting last year. That secondary playmaker and score, and at times primary. He's been that good this year. Person who has really lightened the load on Mitchell and in turn allowed him to have his most efficient season of his career, but also at his highest volume. The two things we crave in a star. Mitchell's setting career highs in points per game on his career high three-point shooting percentage numbers. And that's tied into having somebody like Conley there that draws a defense away and can spot up off ball and can create out of the pick and roll when Mitchell wants to do the opposite and spot up off ball or take a possession off, all those things. Conley has been that in spades. He's been phenomenal for the Jazz. He possesses the best individual net rating in basketball, something that even the most optimistic of Jazz fans at the start of last year would never have expected Conley to bring to the table. He's done that. He's one of the straws that stirs the drink for the number two rated offense in basketball. That's what you get from a prize trade acquisition when things work out. It fulfills that hope that people had last year that wasn't realized last season, but is definitely being realized this season. Hope is your combination of stars. I mentioned Donovan Mitchell. I've mentioned Rudy Gobert. We're not that far removed from all of the articles coming out in the post-COVID world of chemistry issues between the two. Do they like one another? Will they even play with one another again? Can this possibly ever work? Who should the Jazz trade? What could they get back for one of the two? Uh, It seems like they've mended the fences to a certain extent. At the very least, they've mended the fences to allow themselves to play the best version of basketball that they've played is a, is a combination. I mentioned Mitchell and setting his career highs and, and being the best scoring version of himself that he's been so far in his four-year career. Gobert, bringing his constant defensive presence every single night. Two-time defensive player of the year. Looks like he's going to be named that for a third time this year, barring some crazy set of circumstances that, that voters just choose to, to honor somebody else. We're seeing how the strengths of each work in unison with one another. The guy who can go and get his own bucket consistently, you need that in the playoffs. The guy who is the backbone of a really high-level defense, you need that in the playoffs. And those strengths don't overlap. They fit together. We're seeing that with the Jazz. And the weaknesses that each have, Mitchell on the defensive side of the ball, Gobert on the offensive side of the ball, we're seeing those being in part covered up by the strengths of the other star. That's what you hope for when you have a combination like Mitchell and Gobert. You hope that they make each person better, which we've seen out of those two players this year. Hope is your bench gunner that freaks everybody the hell out. Jordan Clarkson, who is possibly going to be the sixth man of the year this year, who plays a very different style of basketball than every other player on the Jazz roster. He's the gunner. He's the guy that they bring in. They say, just go. Get the ball and go. Whatever happens, it's going to happen. It will make the opposing defense 
respect our offense in, in a different manner than they currently do because you're the wild card. We don't really know what you're going to do. And by untethering you and allowing you to do that, you bring a different element to an offense that is predictable, but teams still struggle to stop it. It's just an additional element that a defense has to game plan for. You watch somebody like Clarkson, and he's the most maddening player on the Jazz roster. I'm sure every Jazz fan who is listening to this would agree. You just need to go back to their last game against Golden State. And it was the entire Jordan Clarkson experience, for good and for bad. The electric amounts of bench scoring he can bring in spurts like he did in the fourth quarter. The long, long stretches of bad decision-making and inefficient shooting that he brought in the first half of that game when it seemed like any time he had even a sliver of daylight, a shot was going up and it wasn't going in. Moments of brilliance, like he had in the fourth quarter of that game where he's hitting step-back threes and, and taking it to the rim with, without abandon and, and getting buckets there. Scoring over 40 points for the second time this season off the bench. And the game ends and you never really know how much he helps and hurts the team. And it's almost one of those beauty is in the eye of the beholder type players. Where if you like that style, you say, of course, this is always a blessing for the Jazz. And here are all the plays that I can pull out of that Golden State game where they would have lost by 30 points if he didn't do these things. And if you're on the opposite side and you go, I don't love this style and it seems like he's not that efficient and here are these 30 plays from the Golden State game that I can talk about that that really detracted from what the Jazz were trying to do and maybe helped put them down in the first place, that's the Jordan Clarkson experience. That's a roller coaster that the Jazz are ready and willing to ride come playoff time. It's players like that that are going to swing a playoff series. You don't really know if it's going to be a win or a loss. But you know that there are going to be very big moments where Jordan Clarkson is going to have his say on the outcome of the game. And so if you're a Jazz fan, if you're the Jazz organization, you're putting your hope in somebody like that. That's where your hope lies. It's your strength and it's your weakness. Depending on the night, it's one of those two things. So we, we pull all this together. The hope is your strength and the hope is your weakness. The beautiful, optimistic amnesia of being a fan of being a fan of the Utah Jazz. In an NBA season like this that is pretty unique, the NBA is usually a pretty predictable sport and you go into the playoffs and expect things to happen and usually without fail, they do. There's a small list of championship contenders. You know one of those will emerge. No, nobody else really has a chance. This year... It seems to have a little different vibe than years past. The Utah Jazz enter into this fray, and we've watched the Utah Jazz this year, who have been the most consistent team in basketball, who have the best record, and we've seen them at their very best this year. And when you see a team at their best, as I said yesterday with the Avalanche, it's impossible to not believe in them as a championship contender. Because you can always extrapolate that out into the playoffs in your mind. And you say, we get this version of the Jazz, this team that was just dump trucking opponents by 20 points every single night for a month. We get that version of the Jazz in the playoffs. That is just a bona fide championship contender. There's no way around it. I don't see how anybody could think otherwise. Especially in a season like this, where the questions are endless for their championship contemporaries. 
We watched the LA Lakers last night against the New York Knicks, a team that alongside Brooklyn is one of the two championship betting favorites in Vegas. And the injury questions for both of those teams, the Lakers and the Nets, they are endless. LeBron's not playing last night. Anthony Davis, he's talking about how his groin's hurt after the game. Alex Caruso goes out during that game. Dennis Shooter has not been playing. The Lakers seem like they're going into a play-in spot where they'll have to win a game just to get into the playoffs and then play on the road every single series against a litany of good teams, all while trying to find the chemistry that they haven't had time to develop in the regular season. That is an enormous amount of questions for a supposed title favorite. The Brooklyn Nets have three stars. As bright a threesome as you've ever seen in the NBA. And yet, who knows when each of them is going to play. And they're bringing a load of chemistry questions to the table as well because they haven't had time to play alongside one another due to all of the injuries they've been going through. The Phoenix Suns, who are trying to catch up to the Jazz for the one seed in the West. I recorded an entire episode about them, about baptisms by fire and experience that is needed within the playoffs. Something that outside of Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, the Phoenix Suns don't possess. So there's a lot of question marks how Devin Booker and Cam Johnson and DeAndre Ayton and Mikkel Bridges, how are those people going to acclimate to a situation that while it is basketball, the playoffs are a different beast than the regular season. The LA Clippers, who bring a litany of chemistry questions to the forefront as well. We still feel the stink of their playoff demise last year against the Nuggets when they seemed completely apathetic as their season was going down the toilet and they're blowing a 3-1 lead. And they're saying things after their season ends, like Paul George going, well, yeah, we, we, were, we weren't really trying to win a championship this year and, and whatever. And there's all sorts of stories coming out about the chemistry issues with George and Kawhi relative to the rest of the team. That's a lot of question marks for contenders. I'll continue. Is Milwaukee, are they a different and better playoff team than they have been in years past? A team that has been spectacular in the regular season and not that in the playoffs. Is it as simple as switching in Drew Holiday and having a defensive Swiss Army knife on your roster and having somebody who can knock down an open three better than Eric Bledsoe used to do in the past? Is it as simple as that, that Milwaukee is now a really legitimate NBA title team? Questions, again, for major contenders. Philadelphia, the number one seed in the East. We've seen in the past few years what it looks like when an opposing defense razors in and pinpoints what your weaknesses are and goes out of their way to say, you're going to have to do something about that. And for the Sixers, that means in crunch time, Ben Simmons is going to be on the floor. And when they're trying to play offense, defenses are not going to pay attention to him. And you're going to have to play four on five on offense. And when your offense is built around a player as talented as Joel Embiid, who does need the ball in situations closer to the basket to produce at the level he always produces at, how do you go against a defense that has an extra defender to throw at that specific situation? These are all questions that, that every single title contender has that are just floating out there over their heads in a way that doesn't match up with what we think about most contenders in years past. The questions in the past are usually small. And yet this year, we have enormous flags raised up on the flagpole for every single contender. 
which creates the most wide-open NBA title race that I can remember. It's part of why I'm so excited to watch these NBA playoffs. Because the Jazz are feeling this hope, and I can assure you every single team I've gone over on this list, they're feeling the same amount of hope, which sets up a really enjoyable experience of people believing that their team has a chance. So we circle back to the Utah Jazz, who come with a boatload of questions themselves. Can Rudy Gobert's defensive success translate to the playoffs? We start there. He's been Defensive Player of the Year multiple times. Everyone agrees over the last five years, he is the best and most impactful defender in basketball in the regular season. And he has not been that in the playoffs. I think the narrative that he can be played off the floor in the playoffs is a little bit overblown. But there are playoff series. You only need to go back as far as last year against the Nuggets where Gobert's impact has been negated relative to what it is in the regular season. Murray and Jokic in the pick and roll last year, the Jazz did not have a lot of answers how they would stop that. Can the Jazz continue to get the same amount of open threes and make them at the clip they're making them in the regular season. This is a historic season for the Jazz and their three-point shooting numbers. And it's been really incredible to watch. And yet, even as we watch this happen in the regular season, we go, you won't have this type of space in the playoffs. So the idea that you can have 40-plus open threes per game and continue to hit them at a near 40% clip That's probably not that realistic. But what is? That's a big question that the Jazz have about their roster. It's a big question about how they play offense. This ball movement style that they have centered around pick and rolls and space that Conley and Mitchell have both been great at at using that is still carrying the Jazz to incredible scoring efficiency even as those two players are out over the last few weeks. They're still putting up 120 points a night. It's actually crazy to watch. When you look at who's on the floor and you're going, how are the Jazz milking offensive numbers out of Joe Ingles and George Nyang and and Forrest and Oni and Clarkson and Bogdanovich? These aren't players that we would associate in our minds with running a really high-level NBA offense, and yet they have, even with their stars out. But in a playoff series, when the very best defenses are game planning and trying to pinpoint your weaknesses... Can the Jazz maintain a level of success that allows them to win at the highest level? That is an enormous question. How much faith do you have in the non-stars on the Jazz, in the high-pressure crucible of the playoffs? Your Royce O'Neills, your Bogdanoviches, Clarkson, Ingles, Niang, Favors, all of the people who are great depth pieces who have been integral parts of the Jazz being what they are this year. The playoffs are always different. Your weaknesses are always pinpointed. And your strengths are never as strong as they are in the regular season. So what can you hammer out of that? That's what the playoffs are. That's what the Jazz are going to find out about themselves. The last one is how rusty are Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley going to be starting with game one of the playoffs? Two people who have not been playing. Yesterday night, Donovan Mitchell is ruled out for the final three regular season games of the Jazz season. 
He's going to be coming in off of nearly a month-long stretch of not playing in an NBA game, and he's going to be thrown into the playoffs. That's asking a lot to shake off the rust in a playoff setting, especially for the main offensive score and creator of a basketball team. That's asking a lot. That's a question mark. Same thing with Conley, who's been nursing same hamstring that has plagued him for years, and the Jazz are saying, we're doing this out of an abundance of caution, nothing to worry about, nothing to see here, move along, don't worry about it. And yet, if you followed Mike Conley's career, and if you followed the Jazz in the last two years while Conley has been on their team, it is always something to worry about. It's the same reason that no matter how healthy Anthony Davis is for the Lakers, there's always that nagging thing in the back of your mind of, this guy has been injured a lot, and all it takes is one little tweak, and his Achilles is a problem. All it takes is one little hamstring tweak, and Mike Conley's not playing in this series that we need him in. There's so many questions that go into what is going to happen in the playoffs for the Jazz and for every single team that believes they can win an NBA championship. And all of these questions will be answered in the following months, for better or worse, depending on who you root for. In the meantime, Jazz fans and players and management will all lean into one of the binding emotions of sports. The hope that this is the year championship potential is realized. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.